Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. This time out, you'll hear my conversation with 1971 C-Class track champion, 2014 May Motorsport Hall of Fame member, and legendary voice of Beach Ridge Motor Speedway and the Pro All-Star Series for a number of years, the one and only Bruce Elder. My name's Andy Austin, and a couple things to mention before we get started. This podcast directly benefits the Maine Vintage Race Car Association. Now, MVRCA preserves the history of racing here in the state of Maine. There are a couple of ways you can support our mission, the most important by becoming a member. Individual memberships are less than $2 a month. Racing's a family sport. You can purchase a family membership as well. There are also multi-year memberships that you can purchase. Again, extremely important. It helps us do what we do, and we love doing it, so please help us do it. You can also support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash opentrailerpodcast. Now, your money goes directly into the production and equipment to make this whole thing possible. There are some different uh, tiers to Patreon support and how you can even be a part of one of the upcoming episodes of the show. Again, that's patreon.com slash open trailer podcast. There's such a thing as an algorithm. Don't ask me to explain it. I don't know, but I'll keep it pretty simple because that's all I know. The more five-star reviews we receive, the higher in the pecking order we go so that we can get this message out to race fans everywhere. It's easier to find us, more people hear it, and it really makes this sing. This will be the first of two stages, and given the fact that I've been the voice of Beatridge Motor Speedway for a number of years and have worked hand-in-hand with Bruce on a number of different projects, this was certainly a special one. So sit back and enjoy. Um, it's a pleasure to have you here. I mean, obviously, I've well, been a you know, I mean, a big admirer of what you've done for years. And, well, but I want to know. A lot of people ask me, uh, my age and younger, they're like, you know, because you you are a mythical figure to a lot of people, <laughs> and, and they're like, well, what's Bruce like? You know, like and I'm like, well, you know, he's exactly who you think he is, and that's an extreme compliment to you. I mean, you walk the walk, you talk the talk, but what I'm more interested in is the why. What interested you in racing in the first place? I think it was my love of uh, speed, mm-hmm. love of uh, cars, trucks, uh, you know, equipment. It was certainly uh, just something that came to me quite easily, I think. A- as a child, I'd get in something and start it up and move it in the yard, you know. Which they, and your dad, your dad had a business. He had a business, sand and gravel, so he, there were always dump trucks and loaders and things like that. So I had the opportunity at a very young age to be in those those vehicles, driving them. Racing easily was a, a follow-up to that in a way that gave me an opportunity to, uh, rather than race on the highway, on the roads, the right. back roads, and so on, to race on the track. So how old were you when you first went to the racetrack? I was a sophomore in high school. I remember the time Larry and Bobby Tangway had been to Beach Ridge, and they knew of my the type of person I was, and Larry said to me one day, have you been to Beach Ridge? And I said, no. 
And he said, well, I think you'd really like it. So 1960, it was uh, spring, because it was an afternoon race. We went, and that's all it took. I was one of those that it just took one time, and I knew I was hooked. And look at me now, all these years, since mm. 1960. Uh, still, 60 years. Still wanting to be uh, at races and be involved in, in some way. So I guess it was just a kind of a natural thing for me. What was your first memory of the racetrack? I think uh, being impressed with Phil Libby was mm. one of the first things. It was uh, the cars, uh, so different than today. The cars had uh, kind of a, a connection to the person. Mm-hmm. When the cars were hauled in, you knew seeing them on, uh, on an open trailer. And it was easy to recognize a Libby car, a Walston Hume car, a Cusack car. Any of those were, were so identifiable. Racing to me is monkey see, monkey do. Why was everybody able to be so unique back then? I think the difference was the the cars were homemade. Mm. As I mentioned to you before, I started as a high school kid with, with Bob Bushley. We're from the same town. He was a master of taking a bunch of things that uh, were a combination of car, truck, and even tractor parts and putting together a race car, totally built. In his garage, hmm. and others were were like that. So the cars had that individual, you know, character that was just the way that person built something. So you're in high school, you're going to the racetrack. Um, what are you doing as far as schoolwork? Well, what are you interested in? What, what you know? What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, my intention was always to be in my dad's business. Mm. And it wasn't until, I think it was my senior year in high school, when the principal called me in and he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna go into bed. He says, Bruce, I really think you should go to college. He said, I think, I think you should do that. And I had great respect for him, so I listened, took some additional courses that I would need. And make a long story short, I went to then Gorham State College. First it was Gorham State Teachers College, then Gorham State College, then the University of Southern Maine. So what did you go to school for? Uh, To be a teacher. Hmm. Um, I was only going to do that for maybe 10 years and then go into the family business. Didn't do that. Uh, Went and got a master's degree, became a guidance counselor, and kind of like in racing, had an opportunity to do different things in education just as I have in, in racing. So it seemed to be a fit. Uh, it was in my hometown. I uh, mm. I uh, ended up uh, teaching in, in the same town that I grew up and went to school in. So uh, some people think that's not a good idea. It certainly worked out well for yeah, me. Yeah, but racing's always in your background. Was racing a constant from the first time that you went to the racetrack? And, and at what point did you say, I-, I need to drive one of these things? It was a while. Um, I think I became very close with Phil Libby. He was another one who worked on my dad's equipment. Uh, He was working for a John Deere dealer. We had a John Deere bulldozer. Hmm. So there I was seeing Phil at the races. He was working on a piece of equipment. Then when I went to Gorham, he was on the... By the time I went there, he was a uh, maintenance person at the college. So uh, I spent a lot of time sort of the library down talking with Phil about racing. So he became a mentor to me. Um... And had certainly he and Bob Libby had a lot of influence, I think, on me. Just uh, good role models, I think, in racing. Mm. Tell me about your first car, your first race car. Why did you the, settle on the one that you did? 
Well, it was a case in those days. You just found one in the neighborhood that somebody had parked. Oh. It happened to be a 60 Ford, <laughs> right. which was not really the tool for the trade. Then. I don't know you as a Ford guy. No, I I probably wouldn't be because right. uh, I really struggled those years with a, a big, heavy car that really uh, was not uh, the best suited for short track racing. And when I went to a 57 Chevy, it was like flipping a switch. Mm. That was the car in those those years when C-Class had really become a late model stock. Uh, as we know, when a class starts out, they try to keep it restricted, but little by little, yeah. it gets more and more and more. We've seen that with the limited sportsman, now the sports series, just same type of thing happened with the C-Class cars. So by the last few years, they were, they were quite a quite a little race car. So you were racing this 1964, and what type of results were you having? The best I got with that was a second. So, and it was uh, a case of just not being competitive enough, mm. which uh, uh, my brother asked me, the fields were very big in those early days. And I mean like 40 or 50 cars in, in a race. Force. They finally cut it to 40 cars and then eventually to 32. So, so different than today, there were big fields. You asked about the first car. It was kind of what was available because mm. it was a kind of an off-the-road to be a, a stock class. It was a starter car. Right. But so, then people in the pits were were this 57 Chevy, legendary car. What made a 57 Chevy go so well on the dirt clay at Beechridge? I think two things. The handling, I think the geometry of the front end of a 57 Chevy was almost like it was set up for racing. Um and can you describe that? Well, I think the bump steer is when you travel, go through shock travel, and you don't change the geometry in terms of the toe-in, toe-out is, is one of the critical things. And I'm not into the bump stop and all the things of today. That mm-hmm. came long after my racing. But in those days, uh, you, you didn't really have the uh, option to tremendously modified the cars so without a lot of modifications to the to the 57 Chevy it was well suited the other big factor was the 283 small block Chevy was just a, a tremendous engine kind of the forerunner of the 327 and the 350 mm. uh, turn up quick uh, just uh, hard, hard to hard to beat until Ford kind of came along with probably the 289 or the 302 or something that that uh, was sort of comparable. When you got that 57 Chevy, what was it like? Can you Do you remember the first time that you were on the racetrack with that car? Well, it was a lot lighter. It was, it was a lot quicker, but mm. the handling was the big thing. It, uh, mm. We struggled at first because, again, you had to trial and error things, and sometimes people wouldn't give you the exact information, <laughs> those who had been using yeah. them. Why would so, they? So, yes, some are a little reluctant. So we struggled a little bit until we found the setup, for instance, for the springs and the shocks and what you need to do in terms of, uh, you know, making them handle. Who was, who were some of the people that really helped you out? Well, I'd have to say the Tangway brothers, uh, Larry and Bobby Tangway helped me a great deal. A guy I have to give a lot of credit to early on was Stan Cody, because just after one year in Seacla, still with the Fords now, Mm. he came up to me and said, Bruce, I want to build you a car. Whoa. And that, that that was amazing, yeah. and, and Stan was a, a guy who had competed back in the fifties at Beach Ridge, but he was best known probably as a police officer, security in the pit for years. Hmm. He was uh, one of those guys that was a just a fixture there, and I think a highly respected guy. So he helped me, and probably 
I might not have even stayed in racing without the support of someone like Stan. So you're racing at Beechridge, and we talk a lot about that. But if I'm looking at this photo here, which, by the way, is now on uh, NBC Sports Network as uh, you taking the checkered flag at a race at a different racetrack. Right. Uh, it was the Arundel Speedway. Uh, that's where I won my first feature. Now, had you raced at that track before? Like, What, what was your schedule like? Uh, they were running Friday nights, and I'd struggled at Beach Ridge with a 57 Chevy to start with, getting mm-hmm. it set up right, so I was a little discouraged, and there was racing going on at Arundel, so we decided to go down and give that a try, and I think it was maybe the second or third time I'd gone down there, and again, they were running Friday nights. This happened to be a Friday the 13th, oddly enough. Just kind of, uh, I guess, put it together. Uh, Got a little advice from Dave Gutter, who was there, because I hadn't run on asphalt. I'd always run on Beach Ridge. Mm. And uh, he'll tell you that uh, he, he'll take some credit for that. Because of course he, said, he will. He says, you've got to lessen the air uh, pressure in the tires on the asphalt compared to Beach Ridge. And mm. uh, anyway, make a long story short, uh, we won the race. I think every race driver remembers that first win. And yeah, what were the crowds like at Arundel? It was a nice little track. As you say, the only thing left now is the uh, the surface, which I think was put in along about 1964, and I think the track only ran from 65 maybe to 74. Mm. The problem was it didn't have consistent management. Someone would try it, either get discouraged or something would happen. They'd kind of give up. Someone else would come in and try it. So it was a kind of a a constant unknown as to is this going to go on is this going to be consistent right one problem is when that happens sometimes you don't get paid oddly (laughs) enough the night i won uh never got paid you still waiting for that check yeah i got a case of case of racing oil and i think you can see it on the sitting on the hood of the car yeah and um the check had flagged and oddly enough, I still have the flag. It's in pretty nice shape. What about the crowd? What was it I, like getting out of that race car? I, I think there were pretty good crowds, uh, although it varied a little bit depending on what, what had gone on mm-hmm. just before. I think sometimes if they had a good field of cars, the crowd would show up. But then if something happened and let's say that dropped off, then people come, and if it isn't, you know, they get discouraged and might not come back the next week. So mm. I think what was lacking is that consistency of ownership and management. And it's too bad because it was a nice little track. You sound like a guy who um, who didn't do it for the crowd adulation, but th- there has to be something to getting out of that car and, and the affirmation that all of that hard work is paying off in victory lane. Oh, I think it is. It, mm. It's such a challenge. Uh, it's not an easy game, obviously. Um, you know, persistence mm. is is a must because... Uh, what was your favorite part of winning? It? I think just feeling the accomplishment of being able to do it because everybody, until they do, I think that's why winning is such a confidence builder because mm. I think after that win at Arundel, I went to Beechridge and won three more that year. Wow. Uh, in 69, in one was, I think... Uh, the uh, firecracker race, the, what a thing that was. Uh, to yeah. win the night before the fourth, the fireworks and everything. Mm. Uh, to win one of those, and I think I have the wind's jacket that, that has the, that on it. It was just such an accomplishment. I mean, it, it was a tough field, as, as most everyone would, would say. Winds don't come easy at Beach Ridge. Uh, mm. And in those years of big fields of cars, uh, it was tough. You can win a couple of races, but 
being a champion is something completely different. You had race for a number of years, but it wasn't until 1971 that you put together that championship. Did you approach that year any differently than any other in your racing career? I think I'd, I'd say a lot of it was the crew. I think I had the most stable crew that year. Um, as I mentioned to you, Andy, Frank Lamb built the engines, did a tremendous job, and, and we didn't buy a lot of new equipment. We, we went with a lot of... Uh, pretty conservative good use things many times but he he worked in a machine shop automotive machine shop uh could get a lot of power out of the 283 uh it was housed at um a guy i grew up with robert bachelor a garage under his house and i say he almost lived with the car and it had it had probably the best maintenance and care of any of the cars uh i mean they were all essentially the how, same. how many nights a week were they working on that car? Or were you guys together and, and preparing it for Saturday? I think we tried to keep it to two nights. Mm. It would depend on how we came out of the, the previous weekend. Mm. Um, because you had other things going on, too. You weren't just a race car driver. We talked about how you were a teacher earlier. You did a stint in the Army as right. well. Uh, where did that come in? That was, I went in in 1968. I was in the Army Reserve, so I was six months on active duty, so I lost about half the 68 season to that. Um, well, thank you for your service. Well, yeah, so it... Uh, 68 was a tumultuous time. It, it sure was. Uh, for a country boy from Maine to go to uh, Louisiana for basic training yeah. <laughs> was yeah. quite a was quite a change at the end of August. Um, How many pounds but, did you lose? I don't know, but it yeah. was uh, it was an experience. But uh, you know that's that's uh, how we get life's lessons, I think, and mm. uh, a lot of good came out of it. I was in a medical unit, and it was helpful to me because I got kind of involved uh, after a while in physical therapy, and I was a basketball coach also, among other mm. things. So basketball prior to racing was kind of my sport uh you don't say (laughs) but uh yeah just just a a, as we do in racing i Mm. think what we come away with a lot of great relationships a lot of friends made i had the opportunity uh to spend some time with don cheney who ended up being a starting guard for the boston celtics with jojo white Mm. was able to take as many of my team members uh, i think it was in 71 uh, yeah 71 down to boston the old boston garden yes uh, because of a friendship with don cheney so that was quite a the original parquet floor yeah absolutely so uh so you have a lot of uh, different experiences going on. You're, you're driving race cars. You did a stint for the, uh, you know, for for the for the United States of America. You um, you're a teacher. Well, at first, uh, kids would come up to me and say, "You're not the Bruce Eller that's racing at Beatrice." I'd yeah. say, "Yeah, I am." <laughs> and someone would have to go out. You know, I don't know. They just found it hard to believe because in those days, teachers were in shirt and tie and sport coat. You know. Right. Um, so it was a very different look, although some of them would see me uh, driving the dump truck in the summertime or running a bulldozer or whatever. Now, why would you be doing that? <laughs> so you're running a bulldozer while you're doing that. Yeah, well, family business. Okay, I always so worked in that all through the years. We have family business. We have, we have school teaching. We have championship race car driving. Uh, what, what did you, when did you sleep? <laughs> it was, uh, I grew up with a workaholic father, so mm. it, was, it was, you know, just common nature. I saw him working all the time, two jobs. Mm. Um, so it was almost just the way it was. You know, it's kind of like a boy who grows up on the farm and say, how can you do that seven days a week? Well, 
that's what they grew up seeing. So. You know what you know. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. How about uh, family support, too? I know you have uh, you have a family of your own. Uh, did your family, how involved were they in your racing? Probably the only one that was involved was my brother, Warren, who uh, was quite a bit older than me, uh, was always, uh, you know, a great support to me, mm. whether it was basketball or, or racing. Uh, my folks, oddly enough, never saw me race. Um, wow. Uh, which uh, Was your dad d- working all the time? Yeah, or, he yeah. did. He, yeah. he, he was working, and uh, my mother was that stay-at-home mom, and... Uh, it but just, she was a fan, though. She was. She she paid attention to what was going on, even if she wasn't sitting and getting uh, you know mud in her face every Saturday night. Uh, she'd ask you what was going on, oh, uh, how you did. And, absolutely, uh, tremendous support. Hmm. You know, I just had uh, had a wonderful family situation. My sister, my older sister, was very supportive. Also, I think she went to the races some, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Oddly enough, my uh, my mom and dad never did see me race. Wow! And uh, your wife, Cindy. How long have you been, have you been married now? Oh wow! I think it's about fifty five years now. That's, we were both in college when we were married. That's amazing. Sometimes when we're in company and people ask, you know, and say, "You've been married fifty one of some years?" Yes, I say, "Well, but we got married. We were 15. She's, "Oh no, no, no! Don't tell them that." <laughs> no, actually, we were yeah. twenty when we got married. Wow. Well, congratulations on Thank that. You. That is a, what. What is the secret to a happy marriage, Bruce? Fifty five years in. Well, I think consideration probably of each other. Mm. Uh, w- be willing to uh, give and take. Be willing to uh, not always be right. Mm. Uh, and, uh, Those are a couple things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm looking at this this car. This is not a C class car. This is opening day 1974. You're rocking the aviators. There's a packed house at Beach Ridge. Tell me about this car from 1974. Yeah, that that was the most un- one of the most unique cars probably that ever ran at Beach Ridge. That was a propane powered late model built by Steve Berry Senior, who worked at Pyrofax Gas in Westbrook. Can you do me a favor? Sure. And just say propane and propane accessories. Propane and propane accessories. All right, perfect. Okay. That's my Hank Hill moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, so this is a propane run car? Yes, it is. Wow. They were running their trucks on propane, and 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 I Steve had done some research, and Parnelli Jones had been competing in the Baja 1000 with a Ford Bronco that ran on propane. And I think he said, well, why not have a race car here? Uh, and there was no rule against it. Now, I don't know how how much risk I was taking because I probably had a couple <laughs> right. of rockets in the trunk uh, because there were two propane tanks in the trunk. And I can't explain all the, the uh, mechanism. But when it ran, it ran good. But the problem that we had, we couldn't keep engines together. Almost every, I think, opening day, we won the qualifier. I think we finished six in the 50-lap feature in the engine was junk at the end of the race and subsequently we had engine problems every week after all that was over and he put a put a regular 350 on gas in the car he found out that he thought it was all ultimately because of a bad batch of fuel was blaming it on all sorts of other things but i think that's the conclusion he came to and maybe some folks today didn't know uh, Steve Senior, but they sure knew Steve Junior because oh, yeah. he's probably one of the most successful guys of the younger generation. One of the few who won in every division he 
competed in, right? I learned that stat by watching you. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yes, yeah, the whole Barry family, um, amazing characters. But at what point did they say no more propane race cars at Beechridge? I, I don't know as they did. They so might. you could still do this? Uh, I'm really not sure. <laughs> I'm really not sure, but yeah. there, may, there may very well be something that uh, is preventing that from happening. But again, that was uh, yeah, 1974. Mm. Um, the car certainly uh, drew a lot of attention. was probably one of the, it was the first year of the mall show. Mm. And it was probably one of the best-looking cars of that era. It was a 68 Chevelle. How many autographs did you sign that year? Well, I really have no idea. No? <laughs> I mean, it just seems like a car I want an autograph from. Well, it certainly drew a lot of attention. Even tryout day, they'd done a big article prior to our tryout day the week before opening, and we had a big crowd in the grandstand. A lot of people said, I think it's because they want, really want to see that thing that runs on propane. Uh, these tires are amazing. These Firestone tires? Yeah, they uh, were dirt. Uh, yeah, they were racing tires uh, that everybody was running. I think it was called a rain tire. The Super Modifieds and the late models were running on those. How long would they last? Last a long time on dirt. That was one of the big advantages of the dirt track. The tires would just last and last, mm. uh, much unlike today, how quickly the tires wear out on the uh, uh, blacktop. You were involved with Beechridge for uh, through a number of different owners, um, and you raced under a number of different owners. Uh, how much did the track change, or did it at all, with different ownership? Well, I think as long as it was dirt, it mm-hmm. was it stayed quite similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, first McConnell, then Cal Reynolds, then Ralph Cusack. While well, well, it was dirt. I think the technology began to, uh, of course, up the cost. That, that's the biggest change, I think, that's happened, just how expensive it is now to, to prepare cars. All through those early years, it was an association of the competitors. The Maine State Stock Car Racing Association, made up of a president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and a board of directors, were making the rule book, and in cons- just in consult with the owner, uh, and doing the payoff. So is this a lot like what happens today with the um, with the RTA, where there's a group of owners in NASCAR and invested competitors, and they meet with the sanctioning body to figure out what is the best for their product? Is, is Am I gathering this information correctly? I think probably. Uh, I'm not really very well versed in just how much they have. I, I think years ago, the... The board of directors in the association really had a lot of leeway. I think, you know, the owner certainly had had input, but I think to quite an extent it was left to the uh, the directors to make the rules. When did you stop driving? Uh, the last year would have been 1977. Because after your driving days, you got involved with uh, this organization, which we just spoke right. of I as w- far as yeah, governing. I was on the board of directors for, I think, three years and then president for three years. I think it was just what I'd always um, seen as mm. how things were organized uh, for Beechridge. Do you think the other positions that you had in life prepared you for what you were doing with, uh, with that club on the board of directors and as president? I think probably it did. I, I never mm. thought too much about it. I think that for whatever reason, it was always easy for me to get up and speak before people. The toughest night that you had at the racetrack? 
Yeah, as you know, Andy, the uh, the night that Bobby Bushley lost his life uh, in a in a sprint car, um, as I told you, his his Corona and mine that was the year I had the pro in the propane car were real close, and Bobby and I were real close. Uh, he was a year behind me in high school. Um, obviously, I'd started with his dad, uh, so that was that was probably the toughest night I ever had. Um, and uh, could could have was urged to to stop racing myself, mm. um, and it was hard not to, but I just couldn't let go of it. So um, that's I guess how profound was that a part of my life? Uh, my wife was never comfortable with me driving. That probably made it extremely difficult because everybody thought, "Oh, these guys are braced. No, one, no one's going to get hurt bad." Well, that that certainly canceled that. Although that was a very different type of car than I was in, but that was probably the toughest night in all my years in racing to lose a, a close friend like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was that was certainly the most difficult time. One of the things about the Open Trailer Podcast that I didn't expect is how deep drivers got into their experience, and that's certainly one right there. Stage one of Bruce Elder was awesome. Stage two is next, and Bruce does step out of the cockpit, gets behind the microphone, and becomes, some would argue, more famous behind the mic than he was behind the wheel. I had the advantage of having been there so many years. I knew most of the drivers and owners, and they knew me. And uh, I guess a lot of the fans probably knew me because I'd been doing the track side before going to the, to the booth. Who suggested that you do this? Um, I think it might have been Andy Cusack. Remember, five stars, reviews, we appreciate them all. I'm Andy Austin, and this is the Open Trailer Podcast. <laughs>